All right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Slightly different format today. Hugo is here, but but not on mic. Um, Chris Coffey, who is the co-CEO of Touch Strategies and maybe the foremost expert on politics in New York at the moment. Uh, every once in a while, Chris joins me, and we just kind of talk about New York politics. So I uh, felt like it was time to do that again. If you hate New York politics, probably skip this episode. But if you find it interesting, I think you'll like it. So, Chris, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Busy week last week. Lots of things going on. Yeah. So let's. I, I've got a long list for you, so I'm just going to jump into it. So number one, the subway shooting. Um, how do you think the different political leaders handled it, and what do you think they should be doing going forward? Well, it had to be tough for Mayor Adams, who had COVID and was trapped at Gracie Mansion. Um, And I'm sure this was his first major crisis as mayor, and he was doing it remotely. But I think he, you know, seemed to do a good job. Um, The governor showed up right away. The police commissioner ran the press conference. You know, there was some question as to whether the cops on the scene should have stopped the subways and and other things. But they caught caught the guy. And, um, you know, uh, politically, it's hard to see it doing much either way, except for potentially reinforcing that crime is really high right yeah. now. Or, I, I don't know if you saw this, but members of the DSA, I think including AOC, argue that there should not be more police on the subway after the shooting and that we should be defunding the police and not putting more cops on there. When, when, the, when they say things that are as patently absurd as that, do they lose any standing or is that their supporters are so fanatic that it just doesn't make a difference? Well, it certainly brings the two sides go into their corners. I mean, I, the, the, the one thing I saw is that, you know, they, he, he should have been stopped in the first place. But, like, like we have cops on the subway. Shouldn't they have stopped the shoot? It's like you don't have a cop on every – you can't possibly blame them for not having a police officer on every car well, right. if, if you're saying we don't want police yeah. officers at all, right? I mean, part of the shtick for the DSA is, like, we shouldn't have any cops patrolling the subways. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't know how you blame him for blame the cops for not catching them while at the same time saying we have too many cops on the subway. It's interesting. We're in this sort of cycle where times are good. People sort of take things like public safety for granted and then they start moving towards kind of, you know, more radical positions like look how evil the police are. We should defund them, all of that. Then, you know, to a certain extent, the political system responds to that, acts on it. Uh, crime goes way up, and then most people are like, what the fuck, I didn't ask for it to be unsafe. So do you think we're just like, and as soon as it gets safe again, then the left's going to reimburse their head, and then we're going to, again, sort of get weak on public safety. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, that's, you know, years off at this point. I mean, we're in a pendulum right now. I think you could look at it in June of 2020, which is where in the city there was a huge pressure on the city council to slash the police budget by $3 billion. Um, And that's where you started to see the pendulum swing back. Homicides were up. Uh, shootings were way up. Now, they did make some cuts there, but I think that's where the pendulum after that began to swing. And by the mayor's race, by June of 2021, in the mayor's race, you're now talking about increased policing. You had police unions making endorsements that you never would have had before. Um, so um, I think you're, you're going to keep seeing it, though, because unfortunately, the numbers are still uh, way, way up, 37 uh, percent this year in major crimes, and a bunch of the other numbers are kind of through the roof. So until that starts to come down and people feel safe, it's hard to think that that's going to— um, So you're, you're the publisher of a newspaper, uh, and you have been terrified of not being considered sufficiently woke over the last couple of years. Um, now that things like people are getting shot on subway trains happens, do you still let 28-year-old ideologues who have never done a thing in their life write your editorials and do your reporting? Not sure I'd phrase it quite that way, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I think it's I think most reporters tend to be fairly progressive. That being said, 
um, you know, there are plenty of reporters who grew up in the boroughs and have kind of moderate conservative families who also believe in more policing. Um, and I think I think it's just hard to, you know, I, I, I think they'll swing with the pendulum. I mean, the reason the pendulum is swinging is because, A, the numbers are up, but B, reporters start to see people on subway. I mean, Harry Siegel had a good piece this weekend. Uh, you know, you, you've certainly seen more of it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you're going to see. The question is, is the pendulum now at the end of the road and crime is going to start to come down, or do we have a long I way mean, to go? Look, today is April 17th. We all know that crime tends to heat up a lot in the summer, commensurate with the weather. So if history is any guide, it's going to get worse, maybe even a lot worse over the next couple of months. Um, So the question, if you were Eric Adams, what would you be doing about that right now? Um, And what are you knowing that this is going to happen how do you try to focus your administration and the public? Well, so, you know, some of it is the district attorneys. Some of it is bail reform. I think that I think the bail reform fight to me was the biggest like fiasco. There are people on the far left who are like bail reform has zero percent to do with anything. And then people who want to change bail reform who only basically blame bail reform and nobody willing to have like an intellectually honest conversation that says, guys, clearly you made huge sweeping changes. Uh, you have people that committed crimes who are going out committing crimes again. They should be behind bars. It might not it might not solve 100 percent of your problem, but if it solved 10 percent, that's 46 less homicides or 46 less shootings or whatever the number. You know, it's less it's less crime. You ha- there, there's no silver bullet here. Over the last seven years, they made huge changes to the police department: inspector general, um, body cams, p- uh, bail reform. Um, you know, the right to know act. Uh, discovery reform, all of these major changes, some of which are really, really good and necessary, but that doesn't mean that they got it perfectly right. And you have to be willing to go back in and say, let's change this, let's change that, so that you don't have people leaving the city or getting killed or getting pushed onto the subway tracks. Right. A few things. One is, so Albany made some modest adjustments to the bail reform laws as part of the budget deal a couple of weeks ago. Um, What did they do, and do you think it's nearly enough? No, it's not. Um, if, if you got caught now with an empty, I think if you got caught with a gun, there are some gun charges that were not bail eligible that are now bail eligible. But it's like if it's loaded versus if it's unloaded, it, it sounds like it's fairly small stuff. They did make some discovery reform tweaks that I think will be more consequential. Um, what the governor wanted to do was was much more substantive, and it included giving judges discretion over dangerousness, which in 49 other states you can do. And here, judges don't have that discretion. Um, they did not do that. And it sounds like the legislature just really didn't want to make any meaningful changes to what they had done in 2019 and 2020. So let's talk about the governor. She's had, I would say, a pretty horrific last few weeks, right? Um, in the budget negotiations, failed to get her sort of key points across, like bail reform, um, gave an $800 million uh, just gift to the Buffalo Bills for their new stadium, including then telling the assembly you can have four billion more to spend in the budget in return for this eight hundred million. So effectively, taxpayers spent four point eight billion dollars on this Buffalo stadium, um, and then her lieutenant governor got arrested last week for corruption. Um, what do New Yorkers think of her? Do they know her? Do they care? You know, now that she's been in the office for what, like seven months, eight months, like. You know, she's had some early successes, some recent failures. Where, where do you think she is? So I don't. 
you know, I don't know that she would view the stadium as a bad deal. I think she really wanted to get, I don't know what they know, so that's a good question. They wanted to lock in that stadium. They must view it as a way to lock down Buffalo, and maybe she thinks it's the right thing to do. If she can't win, she's, a, she's from Buffalo. If she can't win Buffalo anyway, she's not going to win the election. Well, but who the, who the hell knows, like a congressperson from Buffalo in 2010. She was there for two or, you know, two or three years. Most voters in Buffalo presumably don't, like follow the ins and outs of who their house members are. I, I don't know. I mean, now you have something like she gave us the stadium. She kept the bills here. I kind of get that. Um, and I, you know, I think they have been surprised by the pushback. The pushback has been much more aggressive and coming from all sorts of places than I think they would guess, I think. Um, your other questions are good questions. Um, the Brian Benjamin stuff, I think, is um, a, a tough one. So explain, if you don't mind, to the listeners who Brian Benjamin is and what he was arrested for. Brian Benjamin was, until last week, the lieutenant governor. She picked him in September uh, to be her lieutenant governor when she ascended to governor. He had he had run for city controller, and he had some issues come out on that campaign uh, around straw donors. So in the city's financial matching system, when you're running, you get $250 and less matched eight to one for every donor you get who's a city resident. So there was allegations that there were people contributing to his campaign who were not real. Uh, they came out in the newspaper of the city. Um, and at that point, the U.S. attorney, either right before that or right after that, started looking into the case. Um, and it quickly became apparent that there were some, some there there. And about a month ago, the donor involved in the case who had set up the straw donors was arrested, at which point I think people had some idea that, that Brian Benjamin might be in trouble. Um, keep in mind, on all of his vetting forms, he basically lied and said that the case was settled and he didn't have, you know, he had everything he said was the truth and there was no other issues there. So they need to do a better job vetting, which she has said. On the flip side, he is now being arrested and charged with some very, very serious crimes that to me feel like sort of bullshit. Um, this idea that a rich donor gave, uh, set up straw donors for him so that he would give $50,000 to his nonprofit doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't. The rich donor could have written the check fifty thousand dollars. Like right, the rich donor could have written the, the check. Yes. The yeah. So it doesn't make any sense to me. And then I know Brian a little bit, and I hope I'm not um, biased here. There's no way in the world that Brian Benjamin would say, um, "If you get me some straw donors, I will get you fifty thousand dollars." There's no way that that happened. So if that didn't happen, and let's say it was something like a little bit less clear than that, yeah. maybe. So do you think he fights the case? I think he fights the case. And, and you I think th he might win. I think he should not be lieutenant governor. I think he clearly lied. He lied on his vetting. He lied at a bunch of forms. But the idea that he should go to jail for this seems like a vast overreach. By the way, there's no wiretaps. There's no. They've got one guy who they arrested and squeezed, and that's the guy that set up the straw donors, who clearly made a mistake. But by the way, like the rules are pretty, like you know, the guy doesn't know anything about. It, so he. Do they arrest him if he's state senator still instead of lieutenant governor, or is it just it's just all about scalp hunting? Yeah, I, it felt like scalp hunting. To me, it's two months before an election, um, and it felt like um, it, it felt like an overreach. Now, it's a very unpopular opinion, and hope I hope that's one that's not colored by the fact that I sort of work in this world. But I'm not. That's why you're on the podcast. That is why I'm on the podcast. Yeah, um, but I think I'm usually willing to say, yeah, clearly the guy fucked up, and clearly the guy should be um, should pay the price. But going to jail for this, I, I would be really, really surprised if you could show that Brian Benjamin said. Um, 
get me straw donors and I will get you this $50,000 contribution to this millionaire that like doesn't really need the contribution. Some, something's right. not right in the case. So there's another scandal that was, I think, minor in the sense it didn't get much attention, but it did involve one of the uh, candidates for governor on the Democratic primary side, Tom Suozzi. Um, what, did, what is he accused of doing and does it matter at all or does he have any chance whatsoever anyway? I'm not sure which of the scandals you're talking about. One, this was like a congressional uh, trading. Like yeah, there's two that trading. I there's two yeah. that I can think of. One was he um, violated a bunch of trading uh, equity, you know, stock stock things. Didn't disclose them. Wasn't supposed to trade it, which seems like a problem. Uh, and two, he also on Friday said that he thought that the don't say gay bill in Florida was fine, um, and that they shouldn't be teaching kids about you know who their parents are and all that stuff. So I think the second one is obviously I, I happen to be married to a guy. I think the second one is a lot worse. Than Did he have strong LGBT support before this? No. Right. No. It means he. Do you think he's making a play to sort of capture the right in the primary? Do you think he just said something that for New York politics was stupid? I think even if you're a moderate Democrat in a Democratic primary saying that you support or, or agree with the don't say gay law in Florida, um, I don't know who you're catching in that unless you're running in a Republican primary. And even most New York Republicans, I don't think, would be there. So I think it was just a fuck up. Yeah. Um, and but it's a shame. And he got he got kind of beat up for it. I don't think Tom Suozzi uh, is a real I, I think if Governor Hochul has a problem, it's going to it's going to be on the right. Um, and it's hard to see a primary um, stopping her. So she she does pretty well in the primary. One very piece of good news for her is that Andrew Cuomo, who had sort of threatened to run in the primary against her, chose not to do so. Um, you had at one point thought that Cuomo actually would run. Um, why do you think he chose not to? So I just thought if you're Andrew Cuomo and you have, you know, let's say between 10 and $15 million in the bank, um, you feel like you've been wronged. Uh, you still have support, especially in the black community and especially with older voters. Now is your chance to run, right? Like, I, 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 I don't think he should. <laughs> I don't think he should run. But I also understood why he would maybe run. Um, whereas running in the general on a third party makes zero sense to me. It's very, very hard for me to see black voters leaving the Democratic Party, voting for Andrew Cuomo as independent. Well, and tell them the best part of why it's going to be hard for him to run as a third party. Um, how's he going to get on the ballot? Yeah, he, 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 he made created it this rule to screw the Working Families Party to make it impossible for them to have a challenger to him and had like exponentially more signatures required. Of course, now he would have to comply with that rule, right. which is extremely difficult. Extremely to do. difficult. Yeah, it's hard for me. He could he he set up a party though the women's equity party or some bullshit, and he could maybe figure out how to But he still have to get, what's like 450,000 signatures from all the different congressional amount. districts, yeah, too. Yeah, it seems very unlikely. So therefore, uh, we believe Hochul will be the Democratic nominee. Um, everyone keeps saying Lee Zeldin on the Republican side. Is that your view, too? I guess so. It's he or Andrew Giuliani or that guy um, uh, from Westchester, um, who now I'm spacing, uh, Astorino. So I, you I mean, know, the fact you can't remember his name probably tells you what he's he run to before, too. He Andrew 20, Giuliani I used to babysit. 2014. Really? That guy's about as qualified how, how, as— How was he as a, as a babysitter? Um, he was a little bit of a brat. Not shocking. Not shocking. Um, yeah. I mean, I only it was I was his camp counselor, and then I babysit him like twice. So it wasn't. I didn't have a ton of experience in the babysitting category. All but. right. So let, let's assume it's Lee Zeldin for sake of this discussion. So Andrew Cuomo won in 20, uh, 2010 by 30 points, in 2014 by 13 points, in 2018 by 23 points. However, Kathy Hochul is far less known, um, and I think all expectations are across the entire country. It's going to be a huge Republican year. Um, what do you predict the margin will be this time? 
So the only way the Republican can win statewide in New York, which hasn't happened since 2002, um, is you really need a tsunami. And if you look at things right now, you have, uh, fairly or not, an unpopular Joe Biden, an unpopular uh, Democratic-led House, uh, bail reform, crime rising, Brian Benjamin. Uh, If you put all of those things together, is there a chance that there's a tsunami that causes Democrats to vote for a Republican? Um, I think it's unlikely, but I also think I wouldn't keep throwing things into that bucket and hope that at some point um, shit doesn't go wrong and you end up with a Republican. Except for the Republicans, they're sort of also stuck in the same cauldron of Trump, right, which is Lee Zeldin is pro-life. He did not vote to impeach Trump. And even though I think independents, maybe some moderate Democrats, could be persuaded to vote for a moderate Republican. He's not a moderate Republican. Right. And, 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 you know, I've used New Jersey as an example. So in New Jersey, Governor Murphy was nine points ahead with about two weeks left, and it ended up being a jump ball. But he ended up winning by two or three points. Now, in New Jersey, they don't have they didn't have bail reform as an issue. So but there's just a lot more Republicans in New Jersey. We just don't have any Republicans. So it's really hard to see. You'd really need Democrats voting in big, big numbers for Republican. And as you just said, he's a Trumper. So, you know, I, I assume as they go down the stretch, Kathy Hochul will, you know, will have smart people around her who say this guy is a Trumper. He stood yeah. with Trump. Look, I'm, unlike you, I'm an independent. I'm not a Democrat. I have voted for Republicans in my life. I would consider voting for Republican for governor, but not a Trumper. So by definition, regardless of how well or poorly Hochul does, she has my vote. Uh, And I got to imagine that's basically true. So now um, the state Senate especially, where in until recent years, it was either Republican controlled or really tight. And then Democrats picked up a huge majority in the last couple of cycles. Um, Do you see that changing at all? I think the Democrats will keep their majority, but they're going to lose some seats. I think Westchester, Suffolk and Nassau, the bail reform. I I was out on last Friday night with with two moderate Democrats, older folks uh, from Bronxville, who were like, you can't come into the city anymore, and the place is going to hell, and like, you know, I mean, there's always going to be those people, but I think, I think the bail reform stuff hurts worse in Westchester, Nassau, and Suffolk than it does in the five boroughs, even though it doesn't directly affect them. It's a perception issue. It comes from reading the Post, and if you're a state senator in the suburbs right now, I think it's going to be, if you're a Democrat in the, in the suburbs right now, I think it's going to be tough. Okay, so let's say Hochul wins by eight instead of 25, and let's say this state senate democrats lose five seats something like that six seats sure um does the tenor of the politics and ideology in albany the next year change because people are sort of chastened and they move more to the center or do you think the people who are far left are just as vociferous as they are now you know it's a good question i mean i think the the problem is that moderates are going to be the ones who lose those seats so it'll be moderate Democrats right. that get picked off, ironically, yeah. ironically, versus the progressives who don't have challenges, right? Like if you're a if you're a really progressive state senator, you probably don't even have unless you have a primary from a moderate, which is harder to see. I think the people that would be in trouble, I think they're going to go after Carl Hasty from the left, uh, and they'll go after Cousins from the left. Now, or or cousins, you know, Cousins is now I don't know. She's she she she's seventy two, I think seventy one, seventy two, you know. So someone like Generis, who's riding behind her, riding shotgun behind her could, and, and, and is much more progressive, is a natural successor there. Isn't he running for attorney general? He's not running. He's not running. Okay. He's not running. No, Tish is unopposed for attorney general. Got it. So that makes, yeah, because it, it, I couldn't see how he Unopposed anyway. as a Democrat. I think that's a Republican. Right. So I, maybe. Some, somebody trying. Um, Albany's got two months left in the session, roughly. 
Um, what are the big items left to do, and, and do you think anything meaningful happens? The mayor wants mayoral control, and I think I think the mayor didn't do— oh, Control of schools. Of schools, yeah. yeah. I think he didn't do great in this process. I think, you know, it's his first year, and they were trying to figure stuff out. I think Albany— set up almost like there's like a adversarial relationship vis-a-vis the legislature and the governor, I'm sorry, the legislature and the mayor, um, and some kind of distrust on both sides. So um, I assume that Eric Adams will get mayoral control of schools. It would be a real shame if he didn't. Uh, yeah. there, there wasn't the appetite for that in the assembly, I think. Um, and, and that's simply because at the end of the day, the teachers union still would prefer the mayor not to have control because then they think they have more influence over contract and policies and everything else. It's, it's always been about unions and, and their money, right? Correct. Um, so, and look, that's why even when Bill de Blasio, who I could not have thought less of, was seeking mayoral control, I still supported it, right? Because fundamentally, A, the mayor of New York City should run New York City schools. Just like, by the way, the mayor of New York City should run New York City subways. It should not be yep. a state agency. And B, you know, as bad as de Blasio is, the UFT is even worse. Um, or at least equally bad, to, to empower them in any way. So, all right, so mayor control you think does yeah, happen or does I, not? I think some of this is a negotiating tool. So if if Eric Adams is is focused on mayoral control of schools and he's not focused on whatever the other thing is, so they keep that, they hold they kind yeah. of hold it back and make him get it at the end when he, he was always going to get it. Also, he wanted five years or four years, and who knows how many, you know, maybe he'll get a year and then he'll have to come back and do it again, right. which was always de Blasio's thing. Like, de Blasio had to re-up it. I think Mike Bloomberg... It was every few years. De Blasio was basically every year-ish. What else is on the uh, on the agenda that might happen? Well, we'll see if anything on. I I, I don't know whether bail uh, and discovery are set uh, because they've sort of done them in the budget. Uh, there are some other, um, you know, uh, there there's some pushing on the assembly to look at the stadium, uh, the Buffalo Stadium deal, and see if they can reopen that. What's Hochul's proactive agenda? Like, what did, are there bills that there are things she believes in that are represented legislation that she's trying to pass? Because I haven't seen any yet. I think so. I mean, it, she, she's done a lot on environmental issues, and you know, she just did this thing in Mount Vernon last week over a whole environmental plan. Um, I am not expert in it, but it sounds like they. Um, there's a few environmental things that they'd like to get done in this cycle. And I think, you know, some voting issues to make it easier for folks to vote, early voting, that sort of thing. Yeah. And look, I think part of it is, as we just analyzed, a strong chance she wins re-election. Once you have a clean four years of your own, you clearly want need to have a proactive agenda. Or otherwise, what, what's the point of being governor in the she, first place? She needs a lieutenant governor, too. She's got to pick lieutenant You're interested? governor. I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. It doesn't seem to be a good position to have these days. You know, well, it's very dangerous two, to be Two lieutenant position. governors in recent history become governor, her and David Patterson. It's either that or jail, though. Yeah, it's a 50-50 it's shot. It's a 50-50 yeah. shot. I don't know who—so there's going to be pressure for her to pick someone before the election. She will pick someone, I think, before the election. I think there'll be pressure from Latino groups uh, to make it a Latino pick. Uh, and I assume there'll be pressure to pick a black uh, lieutenant governor to replace Brian Benjamin also. Um, I don't— no, you know, she she had talked to Jamal Jamal Bailey, who's a state senator in the in the Bronx. I don't think he wanted it before this happened. Hard to see why you'd want it now. And they won't be on the ballot. Like Brian Benjamin's still on the ballot. Right. They're trying to find some way to get him off. I think. He'd have to move to Virginia. <laughs> and 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 in his bail uh, his bail agreement, they they say you can't leave the state except to go to Virginia. So why the, Virginia? I think he must have family there, and it must have been a deal. Like we'll get him off the. Like the only way to get him off the ballot is if he goes somewhere somewhere else. And so Virginia, he has family. Like and you think the U.S. Attorney's Office was part of that deal? 
Why else would Virginia have been on the thing? I if, think Brian— no, If they wanted to work within no, the political system and you think the, the arrest was bullshit in the first place— No, no, no. I, I think Brian could have said—Brian could have said, I need to get off the ballot, and so let me try to—the only way I can do that is to have a—you know, be, be able to go to family. And you wouldn't necessarily need the U.S. attorney to be involved. You'd say to them, hey, I want to be able to go see my family in Virginia, and they'd say, fine, whatever. Who cares? So, um, you know, Eric Adams obviously is now— almost four months into his term, um, and I think generally getting pretty good reviews. I, I would generally give them good reviews. Um, what I've heard very little from is the New York City Council, almost nothing. So tell me why it seems, am, am I just not paying attention, or does this council seem especially quiet? Well, it took them a little while to hire folks, um, and I think they're still doing that. And they've been, you know, there's some, there's a bill that they're doing that requires, in fact, it'll affect our business. Uh, it, it requires you to post uh, salaries, low and high salaries for anyone you're, you're posting. They've made some tweaks to that law. That was a, a, a law passed in the last council that they're amending to- you know, like the salary range for the, the job. The salary range for the job, yeah. So that was passed in the last why it, council. Why would that be such a big problem? Uh Kathy Wilde and company would say that it's not um, it's not fair to make people pay. It's not people to list that, it's, and you don't always know. It makes it anti-competitive, and it, uh, it makes it well, harder. I would for just you. say, is, as an employer, it does not seem like that big a deal to me. Right. Well, we will be complying with said law. Of course. Now you have more time to comply with that. I think they've changed. I think this council has changed how long we have to comply with it. So, do they have an agenda? Is there anything happening? I mean, look, just for the listeners, if you made a, a pie chart of power in New York City government. 90-plus percent would reside with the mayor. The city council has sort of authority in two ways, um, land use and zoning, which their power is very legitimate and real, and budget, which is sort of illusory because basically even de Blasio figured out you just take a billion dollars out for all kinds of local stuff like parks and libraries, and then you put it back in at the last minute, and they, they can claim they got a win. Um, and then maybe the controller has a, a couple of percentages there. Um, but given that, you know, there have been some council speakers that have been more impactful than others. Um, do you expect them to come up with an agenda, or do you think well, they'll just do what Adams wants? I think they'll come up with an agenda. Um, I think they're, they they will end up in a more adversarial role with Adams, especially around policing. Uh, you know, she's put out a statement about the homeless encampments. Uh, era, uh, she has she said that going after them is is inhumane. Uh, uh, the way they she did wants it to keep them. She she said that the way they did it was inhumane. She wants to keep them. Yes. Um, so I think there'll be a little bit of an adversarial relationship between the council and the mayor. And he didn't want her a speaker anyway. He wanted Francisco Moya. Um, that being said, I, I will say in their defense, like it does take they have all these new they have 38 new members and they don't know anything yet. Right. Like it takes time to figure out where there is a great. In, so one of the reasons that term limits, I think they should have three terms in the council and two as mayor is because there's huge institutional advantages at the mayor. And they'll have all these people who know what they're doing. You come to the city council with 38 out of the 51 who like have never been in the city council before. And it just takes a little while. I think by the time you get to the budget in June, you'll have a, you'll have a council that is more um, something. But yes, they have certainly been quiet so far. By the way, I don't know that a lot of New Yorkers would say that's not so bad. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with it. I've just noticed it, that it's, it's been been very quiet. Um, any of the sitting congressional members face any kind of challenge either in the primary or the general? Uh, well, Carolyn Maloney has uh, a perennial challenge from Siraj Patel running his third time, but he got a, he, he was you know it was forty to thirty nine last time, so uh, he just had a filing on Friday. He raised six hundred fifty thousand dollars in a quarter, which is pretty strong, very strong. Um, that being said, Maloney has done a really good job of kind of 
locking up her her base and the redistricted district is much easier for her. It does not include parts of Williamsburg and Astoria that played to Siraj's strengths. So, um, and there's a third person running who's a, who's a DSA candidate. Um, I assume Maloney will 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 win, but 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 you know what? Last time I said that and it was a real jump ball. Um, so this is now Siraj's third time. We'll see. The other races, uh, the only other, you know, there's Swazi has an open race, right. uh, which Alexandra Biagi is running against Robert Zimmerman. Uh, Zimmerman's the moderate. Biagi's the kind of progressive. Um, you know what's funny? I didn't realize that she was his opponent. He's been calling me for money, and I've been blowing him off. Uh, now I think I'm going to give him money. Hello. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, and he's, you know, he's a, a big funder, a uh, big donor, uh, LGBTQ, uh, you know, apparently a nice guy. Uh, but we'll see. I don't, I think that race is, an, is a toss up. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think, I think that's basically it. You know, there, there, there's a sleeper running against Nadler, who I don't know that much about, but I saw her filing and she raised a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of dissat. I mean, just when you talk to regular, Upper West Side liberal Democrat New Yorkers, um, they may not even say it publicly, but privately, I think there's a widespread view that it's time for Nadler to leave. Right. So there, there was some speculation that he would get on the ballot and then step off, uh, which would allow Scott Stringer to, they would pick Stringer to run in his place without having to petition or have a primary. Now so that lame. that does not seem to have happened, um, and I think. The time for that is now over, I think. So there's a lot of speculation, at least, that this will be Jerry's last term. Um, and if he doesn't do it that way, then it would set up a primary with Scott and... Oh, it would be, it'd be crazy. Brad Hoylman. Can you imagine if you had Chris Maloney and Nadler retires the entire east and west side of Manhattan towards some Congress up for grabs? Every current elected official plus every billionaire or person who thinks they're special are all going to run. It's going to be true. like 20 people on each primary. That's true. Um, that might happen. Yeah, um, it would be fun. I hope, I hope it does. Um, all right, let's turn to a more important topic then. Um, the New York Mets are 7-3. and three. Yep. Uh, Their starting pitcher ERA is like 1.07, I think, which is the best in history. Um, <laughs> but we've seen these Mets uh, start strong in many other years and then break our hearts. Um, tell me how you feel about the team. It looks like a good team. I mean, you could you could get me in April every year saying the same thing, but this team looks different. It really does. I mean, Sterling Marte looks like a, a real hitter. Alonzo's uh, is hitting as DH in his first base. You know, uh, their pitching is spectacular, um, and it's a really smart team. You know, that J.D. Davis steal yesterday, which I think was inspired by Buck Showalter, probably saves them a run and gets the steal. That the last team doesn't do that. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Uh, the only thing I don't understand is with, with all the money they've spent, $290 million payroll. Why don't they have a relief pitcher? Yeah, and Aaron Loop, who was an excellent lefty last year, left to go to the Angels for like two years. I think it was $18 million or something like that. Why didn't we keep him? Right. And also, what's wrong with Seth Lugo? And you see Seth Lugo the first few days. Yeah, well, the three worse. losses we have have all been the bullpen imploding. Yep. None of them have been the result of the starting pitching. So when I was, I was at the game on Friday and then again Sunday and was thinking about sort of this question of, um, how do you make the game faster? How do you speed it up so that more people, especially young people, start getting interested in it again? So I, I made a list. I'm going to throw them at you and see how you react to each this one. This is going to be a tough for us because I'm going to disagree with, like, everything here. That's fine. Okay. That, that, that makes it better. All right. Um, if you are the away team and you're ahead, the top of the ninth is optional. You can elect to go straight from the bottom of the eighth to the bottom of the ninth and just say, we're ahead. We just want to close this thing out. Um, you save the half inning. And while you would say, why would they take it? Why would they lose the opportunity to hit? 
you know, if you have a pitcher in the groove and they're nail- mowing people down, you might just want to keep him going for three more outs. You might, but then he doesn't get his normal rest, and then you give up the chance to, like, I think you're in his zone. Six outs seems like a lot of outs. Yeah, it depends on, on, on the reliever, but it would speed the game up and sort of why not make it optional so that the manager can decide. Why not just do a coin toss? What do you mean? You could just it would really speed the game up if you just tossed a coin and said at, in the ninth inning if it's a tie you could say the Mets win based on a coin toss. Or maybe the fans get to vote at, at whether the um, Yeah. Alright, so next one. Um, I already know you're against seven inning doubleheaders. Yes! I think it's fantastic no, though. Did you go to any last year? They're terrible. They're do, do you remember? I mean, I barely remember, but in 1986, you would remember more than I am because, for the record, Bradley's older. I'm a little bit younger. I was seven. Um, but Tim Tuffle, they, Jesse Roscoe, and Roger McDowell platooned that was awesome. in know, the outfield. And that was the same game where Ray Knight beat up Eric Davis. Yes, yeah, and Gary Carter had to play third base. You would never you get any But now of that, that we don't stuff. have a DH, it doesn't, the most of that doesn't matter anyway. You shouldn't have a DH. Of course you shouldn't. It's crazy oh, town, USA. So wrong. It's, it was been so nice over the last 10, 10 games. To not play by the rules? To, to not have to just have like a wasted at bat every single time. But that's time. part of the strategy and bunting and teaching them how to bunt and squeeze plays and all that stuff. It's part of the game. I mean, there's lots of stuff you could do. You could make the game three innings. It would be really short. All right, pitch clock. You can't possibly be against that. What's a pitch clock? It just pitchers have to throw the ball in a certain amount of time. They can't just maybe. And batters also have to be in the box. Maybe. By the way, this intentional walk thing where you don't get to, you don't have to throw the ball is crazy. It's, it's crazy. It I want to be able time. to hit it, and people throw the ball past never, the guy. That happened like one time in a thousand. Yes, um, but that's part of that's the one time in a thousand is the thing that gives the seven year old the story that he's going to remember. Yeah, but, uh, but it's turning off a hundred other seven year olds from watching baseball at all. Okay, those kids shouldn't be watching baseball. They, they few, should go watch. They should no, go watch football. More, this is the end of it. Um, you can only change relievers during Stop an inning it. once per Stop game. Stop it. Get so out of here. You can decide when you want to do it, eighth, no. ninth, seventh, but once per game. Otherwise, the reliever's in for the whole inning. I'm not counting an injury. Jesus in for the whole um, You hate, but I like starting the 10th with a guy on second. Of course, that's literally crazy. That's just like, that. that is just, I thought it's that was exciting. the worst thing that ever happened. You'd never have 17 inning games. You'd never have 21 Nobody inning games. Nobody wants 17 Of course games. you do. They're so fun. In, in 2015, the Mets had a great game that went 18 innings. I sat there. I watched the entire game. It was an amazing game. It was like six hours long. It was amazing. I'm fairly confident that if you did focus groups of American sports fans, some baseball, some not, um, 90% of them would disagree with you. Why on not just make all the games five innings? That You know what? They may no, have to do crazy. that. Or no, they two, don't. Two, People... two more. Okay. One, shorter commercial breaks, which obviously the answer is the teams don't want to lose the revenue. But long term, if the average age of a baseball fan is like 57 or something like that, you're losing the revenue ultimately anyway because your sport is going to die. I'd be okay with that one. Yeah, of course. What's the downside? For yeah, you, you don't change the, the rules of the game for this right. crazy. And the last one, 10-run rule. Uh, bring the Little League to Major Leagues. If you were up by 10 runs, the game's over. Maybe. All right, I'll take that. All right, Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.